Joe, what do ugly chicks and mopeds have in common? I don't know. What do ugly chicks and mopeds have in common? They're both fun to ride till your buddies see you on them. Carnival personnel was recorded in the Dan Coldy basement. Joe and Jacques, it's Carnival personnel. Joe and Jacques, to their wives this show is their personal hell. Well, the show sounds the same every single week. Pats are great, Trump is lame, and Joe barely speaks. Who you think still listening? Who you think still listening? Besides Jim and Biff, yeah. Here's a random review. No one cares about you two, Joe and Jacques. Joe and Jacques, Joe and Jacques, Joe and Jacques. That song would be funny if it weren't true. <laughs> hey, welcome to Carnival Personnel. This is Jacques. This is Joe. And uh, let's get right into it. Um, First of all, a uh, few more few more followers that aren't bots on Twitter. Very excited about that. We need more bots on Twitter. We do following us, um, uh, and we do the people who are, are forwarding this on Facebook and posting it on Twitter. Uh, but I will say, at Twitter the other day, I almost did something I never thought I was going to do on Twitter, and then I did do something on Twitter, and I actually wrote the person. And I told them, F you, how dare you make me forward a cat video? <laughs> oh, God. I didn't see this cat video. Please elaborate. It's a, it's a friend uh, who was in the Growlings with Jimmy. has a pretty funny um, – he's a pretty funny Twitter follow. And he had, Jimmy whom? Uh, Jimmy oh, – I'm very sorry. Uh, the esteemed Broadway actor Jimmy Fowley. Ah, okay. Go on. Um but yeah, it, uh, you know, there was a funny cat video and I looked at it because it comes up on my feet. I'm like, oh my God, am I about to like a cat video? Am I a guy pushing 50 about to like a cat video? And it was hilarious. So I did. I re- I not only liked it, I retweeted it. I'm like, F you. F you for making me like this. And now that you own your own home. Next week, you'll be telling kids to get off your lawn. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I thought you were going to go with the have more cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's actually talk about Mr. Fowley. Okay, so uh, do what we want to start. So yeah. uh, we're going to play a little clip from 1994 from, uh, from one of the early shows Joe and I did together. Yeah, it was called Formal Edition. And we all know it. We all love it. We don't have to retread that, but... Let's take a trip back into the Wayback Machine and listen to Gold. Hi, I'm Steve. Welcome. Welcome to Formal Editions. We have a great show tonight. We have two funny skits, some current events, a little trivia, and a video from the Afghan Wings. This. You know what, guys? This show smells great. Wow. Woo! I am astonished. Steve, you have never come off so well. You handled that like a pro. This is gonna... Oh, jeez. Sorry, guys. I was running late on my manicure appointment. Sorry about that. What? What? What the... If you're Steve... Yeah? Who are you? Buck Henry! Buck Henry? Buck Henry? What the... Who's Buck Henry? Wait, where'd he go? 
Who is Buck Henry? <laughs> uh, esteemed uh, writer, fan of Gilbert Gottfried, know that Buck Henry is a long-term writer. Right, co-creator of Get Smart. Yeah. So that clip, so when Joe started Formal Edition with our good friend uh, Jim. And our other good friend Steve. And we had my beloved cousin Jimmy, who I believe was seven, maybe eight years old. And the whole premise was Steve wasn't the... Um, Steve's a great guy. Was a great kid. Is a great guy. Uh, well, you said he, well. Steve was kind of like our Gronkowski. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> right. Steve was our Gronk. He was our lovable kind of like party guy, but at the same time, very like he was kind of slow on the show. He played the slowish guy. Right. Right. It was all of that. But we right. decided because he was this you know young blonde headed kid. We found we had Jimmy, who's a much younger blonde headed kid, come in and see if anybody would notice the difference between seventeen year old Steve being replaced by seven year old Steve to deliver the lines. Um, and you know what? Um, four out of five dentists could not tell the difference. They could. So we had Jimmy um, Jimmy Fowley come on uh, on a regular basis. Jimmy was also in one of the Beyond It videos that did very well for a song called Mind Time. And right now, Jimmy is starring in his one-person production uh, called So Long Boulder City. And it's playing at the Subculture Theater in New York City in Manhattan. It, this is opening weekend. I went last week with management and we took six other people with us. So it was it was great. We, you know, had eight people go for um one of the first couple showings. The the theater, the subculture theater is great. Give it a backstory. Jimmy was a performer with the Growlings for many years in Los Angeles. A couple years ago, he wrote a play called Go Go Boy Interrupted. Did very well. It's now a web series. Go to YouTube, check it out. Go Go Boy Interrupted. And then several months ago, maybe a year ago at this point, as a gag, just something that Jimmy did with a director friend from the Growlings, they saw La La Land. And Emma Stone's character in La La Land is a woman who doesn't have any acting credentials, really, a resume, and she puts on this one-woman show, and it's horrible. Like, the, the one-woman show is god-awful, and they cut back to it several times in La La Land where she's performing this really self-indulgent, very poorly written, poorly acted, one-woman show, and there's only seven people in the theater. And those people are like, oh my god, I can't believe how bad this is. However, one of those seven people who see the play is a casting director, sees something in her, cast her in this gigantic movie with Ryan Gosling's character, and she goes off to be famous. But it started with this horrible one-woman play. So Jimmy and his writing partner took the five or six 30-second scenes from La La Land and what that play was called So Long Boulder City and extrapolated that out to an hour and seven-minute extravaganza where Jimmy plays the Emma Stone character. And pulls it off. I've seen the posters, I've seen some snapshots of the show, and uh, he looks like a convincing Emma Stone. A little too convincing for my liking, but well, it's great. I, I will post the picture of like me posing with this cardboard cutout, chest hair, you know, and all. <laughs> Doesn't shave his legs. I saw it, and I mean this with all sincerity. Joe coined this phrase a few weeks ago. Uh, copyright carnival personnel. Awful sim. It is awful. 
and awesome simultaneously. I probably, I, I was going to say, was watching half the play with my face and my hands because it is just magically cringeworthy. <laughs> it is, I mean, I'm not, I'm not giving anything away that wasn't in the, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna brag a little bit, that wasn't in either the Variety write-up or the LA, uh, the New York Times, you know, write-up of it. He does a, a, a dancing duet uh, with a partner that doesn't show to the extended dance remix of the electric slide. <laughs> oh, wow. And why is that not in our repertoire or iPod? Awful. Or, yeah. I, I mean, it hurts to watch. It literally hurts to watch, but it is hysterical. I truly don't think I've ever been prouder of an individual. And so when we saw the show last Thursday, um, or, I'm sorry, it was last Saturday. Saturday, did I go out Thursday, Friday? Trying, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm all confused. It's not my turn to watch you. But he had a yeah. It was a Saturday. He had a one o'clock, seven o'clock, and a ten o'clock show, and it's exhausting. I mean, it's a one person show, and I don't know. Do I call it a one woman show, a one man show, a one drag man right. show, uh, drag man drag. in color? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, it sounds like it's a blast. And I don't know. Did you just mention that your sister is gone yesterday? Now she's going back. Today or tomorrow yeah, my, or something? My sister, so last week was kind of um, the dry run of it, you know, and, and and it was a pretty full theater. The theater, again, Subculture Theater in Manhattan is fantastic, gorgeous theater. And my sister took her daughters out and they saw it last night. She's driving back from New York now so that she can turn around tomorrow with a couple cousins and go back and catch a show tomorrow. And it is. It's If you're in New York... If you know anybody in New York, and again, just look up either Jimmy Fowley, you Google Jimmy, Google So Long Boulder City, and major national press. And the, he's, if you follow him on Twitter or Instagram, it ran in LA and it was supposed to be a one weekend thing. It was just a gag. He was with the Growlings for a long time. So they're like, yeah, use our stage. This will be funny. And it was supposed to be a one weekend thing that turned into two weekends, that turned into a month, that turned into two months, that turned into four months, and then finally they brought it out. And when he goes on James Corden, I want to put this out there to James Corden, contact Carnival Personnel, because we have the tape of Jimmy Fowley when we knew him when, and you could play it to form when he you know, guests on your show one day, and you can hear Jim's like, this delivery. Welcome to Formal Adventure. And, 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 we have a great show tonight. We have two funny skits, some current events, a little trivia, and a video from the Afghan's wings. This show, do you know what, guys? This show smells great. Bravo. You know what, Steve? You've come off great. Can we call you Steve? Yeah. Uh, by the way, D- little breaking the fourth wall here. Jimmy Fowley is Jacques' dialect coach. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, even at seven, Jimmy delivers lines better than any Tri- triv- trivia. Tri- trivia. He also spell checks better than me at <laughs> seven, and that's so. Um, it is. It's called So Long Boulder City. Joe and I. You know, it's the holidays. There's all this crap stuff going on. I'm going to drag. I'm not going to drag Joe. Joe wants to go to. You're going to drag Joe? Oh, see what I've done there. And we will get Jimmy and we'll do like a whole sideshow with Jimmy and, and, and the. So his career is on fire. Speaking of fire. Speaking of fire. What a segue. Um, 
My beloved home in Los Angeles is in Fuego, as many of the residents there would say. Um, that's fire in Spanish. Wow. Yeah, you like you. that? Um, and when I say it hits close to home, it hits close to Biff's home. You know, uh, hopefully Biff uh, Biff kept his iPhone sa- – or he's not a – he's a Samsung guy. So he Wait can- a minute. Get your Samsung phone as far away from the fire as possible. <laughs> Maybe the Samsung started the fire. Oh, um, Samsung started the fire. <laughs> Biff was away on a business trip, but his uh, his wife and, and son had to evacuate the house. He got back to L.A. yesterday and still couldn't get to his house, and he finally got there this morning to find out that, yes, it is fine and right. stuff like that. But you see the pictures, and it's like, okay, we knew the blowers was going to turn this country into a fireball of hell. And when you see the pictures, mission accomplished. Somebody of uh, tweak that now kind of infamous video of the highway crawl where you see the sign yep. for like the Getty Drive exit or whatever it is with the fire burning in the background but it's like this green highway sign so somebody superimposed over that welcome to 2018 <laughs> it was just like <laughs> oh, that's awful yeah awful so some in my 20 plus years there there have been a good Three or four major, I mean major fires where lots of my friends who live in Burbank and, and live in the, you know, area had to seriously worry about their houses, you know, going up. As much as L.A. is the second biggest city in the country, it is still in a largely wooded area. I mean, it's not an everyday thing that you would see a bear and somebody like on the news, but at least, you know, once or twice a year in the summer, you would see a bear in somebody's pool in the backyard or, or something like that. Just watching the news today about the fires and the, the weather conditions there, bone dry, like less than 5% humidity, and these winds are coming up over the mountains that are like 25, 35 miles per hour, and they gust up to 50. So this is not going away anytime soon. But unfortunately, or fortunately, I should say, the polar ice caps will be melting soon, so that'll just drown, drown out the all. fire. Yeah. Well, it, it, well, it's not funny, but funny you say that. So, you know, I lived in Studio C for a long time, commuted to Santa Monica, and there was a couple fires in that stretch of road where it was amazing. Here's this plush green, you know, beautiful mountain, gone. And crazy enough, like two years later, you wouldn't even know there was a, a major fire there. But one of the crazy things is you get all these fires because it is so dry. I mean, L.A. is a desert. The only reason there's any trees and any grass there at all is the Hoover Dam. It, it shouldn't exist. Like Los Angeles is not much different than Vegas. It shouldn't be as, as plush as it is. And my 20 years out there, I'm going to say it wasn't uncommon for it to not rain for six, seven months. And last year, they broke a drought that was a three-, four-year drought where it rained truly a handful, like a real serious rains. But then on the other hand, you know, when, when these fires happen, it's, it is. it is. It's scary. And the photos are breathtaking. I mean, you're looking at these things, and they look like some CGI, you know, hell on earth. Yeah. Although, the, to add some levity to this, The Onion did post a, a picture with the headline, Frustrated L.A. Fire Stuck in L.A. Traffic. <laughs> and, and the other moment of liberty that, yeah, I think is awesome. I don't know if his original tweet was a couple days ago, if somebody pulled an old tweet, but Rupert Murdoch's house, you know, was on fire. And somebody took a tweet that he had sent out where he was flying 
over the Arctic, and he took a picture, and he's like, there's no such thing as global warming. Here it is, 300 miles of ice. And somebody responded, do your house is on fire. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, perfect. So the next fire is uh, <laughs> Al Franken fired himself. Uh, I don't know. Poor, poor, I, I won't say poor Al. I'll say poor America. You know, he was, without a doubt, uh, Bernie, Al Franken, and Senator Warren were my three uh, heroes. The, the three people that I've been clinging to, especially the last year, to not save the Democratic Party, to truly save the country. Uh, Al Franken's Boil the Frog thing that you had let me know His about. His video series with uh, David Letterman, yeah, is like one of the guests. Yeah, It's hilarious, but it's like, okay, this is how important global warming really is. This is what's going on, but, it, but it's Al Franken and David Letterman presenting the arguments and facts in a very funny but no bullshit kind of this is what's going on. Yeah, and the term boil a frog refers to the idea that the only way to boil a frog is to put it in to a little bit of like warm water and then slowly turn up the heat because if you put it into a boiling pot, it's just going to jump right out. And that's sort of the allegory with sort of teaching science to these climate change deniers and any sort of non-progressive people like you we can't just go in there a full force and say this is science and this is how you have to listen to us because we're smarter than you it's like unfortunately change takes time and we have to introduce these ideals slowly over time so that eventually we reach the end goal of sanity and that's what al champ uh, al franken was sort of championing in his series and now he's gone and if you look at al's voting record and the things he's campaigned on it is harder to say there is another person, and I don't mean male or female, another person in the Senate or even in the Congress in the last you know, couple decades who has fought harder for Planned Parenthood, who has fought harder for to keep a woman. I mean, there is a outright war on a woman's right to choose. And if you're not following this very closely the last 10 years, it's been whittled away and whittled away. The attacks on Planned Parenthood are never ending, even though they keep perpetuating the same bullshit story that Planned Parenthood sells, like the fetuses and the unborn and makes them. It, that has been something that they've been saying for the last 12 years. Um, there was these videos that showed that they were doing it that those videos were then shown to be doctored, and the people who did those videos are put in jail for doing that. And now, just this week, Jeff Sessions is pushing the Department of Justice to reopen investigation. There is a war on Planned Parenthood. In the state of Texas, they came out with all these crazy laws that have shut down all but three places where a woman can express her right to choose, you know, those clinics. In the state of Texas, it is bigger than the country of France. There's only three places that you can go. And then you see all these other states where you have to have these very invasive, very, very invasive uh, procedures done and sonograms done in order to get – my point is Al Franken has been a champion for – People, uh, men, women, children, everything. He's a great senator. It was obviously he was headed towards a presidential run. And now because of allegations, and, and a lot of these allegations are coming from people saying, I just want my story out there, but I don't want him to resign. He was forced out by his own party. So what's the end game? Now, we have to obviously take allegations like that seriously 
and Al Franken was willing to go with the ethics, uh, Senate Ethics Committee uh, reviews, but pressure was mounting. More allegations were coming out. The cat's out of the bag. The um, attention is too hot on this type of topic now. He's a liability for the party. Do the Democrats now sort of, is that is this part of their plan? Is this part of the, the bigger plan as the Democratic Party to oust and clean house and show the Republicans and show the rest of the world or the rest of the country, hey, if we're going to try to hold Roy Moore accountable for his sins and try to hold Donald Trump, maybe, accountable for his past sins, then we're going to do the same on our end. We're going to show you how it's done, folks. This is how you, you, you clean house, you drain the swamp. We're going to get rid of one of the best senators ever to have graced the halls of Capitol Hill uh, because of some shitty things that he did prior to him being a senator. Again, levels of... Look, we can, we can qualify how bad his actions were compared to other actions. We can play what about a isms for all day long. The fact of the matter is, he's a politician now. This is politics. It's kind of like, you know, we can't say, well, that's not fair. You know, he was a very good guy. The ends don't justify the means. Granted, but this is the this is the big leagues, folks. It's not. It's kind of like, you know, a college player coming into the NFL and saying, I don't like the way they're, they're hitting me so hard. Well, these are the rules of the game. This is how it's played. You have to sort of, going into politics, know that your enemies are going to be out there lurking to take you down and look for any sort of awful misgivings that you've done in the past. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting now, the timing of all of this is just, I don't know if it's just sort of a perfect storm or if it's a CON-spiracy, you know, like maybe some of these out, some of these alleged, uh, I don't want to victim. No, no, no. And I get it. But you, you, one of the first points you made is one of the most important points is Al Franken came right out and said, I want to investigate this. I will sit with the investigator. He's not running from it. From day one, he never said, nope, I didn't do it. He did say, I don't remember it the same way. He did say, yeah, that picture, I was being an ass. I was being an idiot. It was completely inappropriate. But he did welcome the investigation. He did welcome hearings. And the unfortunate thing, and you said, well, you don't know what the Democrats' plan is. You don't know what their plan is because they don't fucking have a plan. Why? Because they're Democrats. And I, I hate that my party always turns on its own like this. If they said, you know what, we're holding our guys to a higher standard because they're public officials, because we're governments. And you know what? We're turning up the heat on Roy Moore. We're turning up the heat on Blotus. But they haven't. 38 people came out. 38 other Democratic senators came out and said, Al has to go. It's the right thing. I don't want to agree with them. But but the way the way that Al left, and he basically said, I'm going to be a distraction. I'm not going to be effective for the betterment of the party. I'm going to step aside. But the next day, those 38 people didn't say, okay, RNC, you pulled your funding from Roy Moore, and since you pulled the funding, new allegations have come out. The two big Alabama newspapers have come out and say, this guy's a pedophile. The Alabama state police have come out and says, yes, we had to ban him from malls. And what did the RNC do? They turned around and said, oh, the race is getting tight. Let's turn on the funnel and let's give him more money. What did Blotus do? Goes out and supports him. So not only is our side 
again, holding ourselves to a higher standard, and I, I made this point to Joe before we talked, it really upsets me that the skipper boats for justice, Swift boats, Swift boats for justice assholes used John Kerry's war record against him successfully. This is back in the 2004 election. In the 2004 election. election. You know, George Bush, you know, W, didn't show up for a year. I'm not getting into right, it, right, but... Right. The the Democrats are like, you know what? That's dirty politics. We're staying on topic. We're staying above that. It is bullshit. People will see he had four Purple Hearts. This is all bullshit. No, that's why he lost the election. That's one of the key reasons he lost the election. And at the end of the day, we didn't want to get down in the dirt with them. And what happened? Four more years of W, an extended war, all this bullshit. Anyways, we keep holding our side to a higher standard. But we're not, you know, like I said, if those 38 senators turned around the next day and said, we need investigations now on bloaters, uh, Mitch McConnell, you are supporting a pedophile. Your party isn't ousting these people who have done horrible things. You're inviting these horrible things. And again, Joe said it. He doesn't want to play the, well, this is worse than this. Yeah, Cosby is a lot worse than this. Pedophile is a lot worse than this. But Al, for the betterment of the party, stepped aside. But there has been nothing since then saying, okay, Republicans, your turn. I don't even think the Republicans give a fucking shit. They don't. They don't. They, don't, they, don't, they want their Democratic Party to collapse in and of itself. Look at these fucking assholes resigning and, and quitting and falling on their They're swords. Right. Good and, for them. Good. And, and, and the social justice warrior who say, good, Al, we're holding ourselves to a higher standard. We don't mind that we're losing another effective, hardworking Democratic senator. And so when Planned Parenthood becomes a thing of the past, when a woman's right to choose becomes a thing of the past, do not turn around and say, wow, we should have done other things to do this. It's like, you know. Right. And I mean, granted, Al Franken is not the end-all, be-all linchpin of the Democratic Party. He was an effective force, but he, the Democratic Party or its values will continue. And it's not like he's going away. He even said in his res resignation he may be stepping down from being a senator, but his voice is going to be out there. He's still going to be very vocal in private life now, and that's great. So the message is still going to be there. It's all about, really, it's all about turning the tides of the voters. And it's sort of like trying to build confidence in that sort of middle ground voter base and maybe even turning a couple of Republicans over to the Democratic side in these purple states to show them that we can... The Democratic Party can put up good, solid, effective, maybe a little centrist candidates that can, you know, push health care reform, climate change initiatives, uh, trying to undo what Donald Trump's administration is doing and will be doing for the next three to seven years. Scary as that fucking number sounds. There could be seven more years of this thing. I don't know. It, sometimes you feel like the higher ground you get a little... You get a little dizzy up there from being at so high. Maybe, maybe this is the right thing to do. Uh, maybe, you know, you get somebody else in there that's a little bit more cooperative. With, I, I don't know. It's it's not like well, it's going, it's not like, oh, first of all, who's taking over his seat? So, well, that, they don't know. And that okay. it's appointed, it's, it's, no, it's going to be appointed by the governor of the state. And yeah. that's how, and that's how that works. So let's talk about something a little, a little less uh, inflammatory, a little less um, divisive. Um, uh, the Middle East. 
Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, let's not spend too much time on this. Okay. We're kind of running long here. Long story longer is um, Blotus, again, tries to find what is the best way to piss off the most amount of people at one time. And <laughs> he decided to say that the United States is going to declare Jerusalem the capital of Israel and fuck Palestine and go. And, you know, the prime minister of Israel, Netanyahu, who absolutely hated Obama, who's a big friend and fan of Blotus, you know, he thinks this is the best thing. All the other Arab nations don't think so, so much. All the... Uh, Basically, everybody else, like England's come out and, and Germany's come out. It's like, this doesn't get things moving in the right direction. This takes any kind of progressive thing that has happened at all and just, you know, by the time this post, who knows what has happened. But it, it's not a smart thing to do. And basically, we don't have an active State Department coming in. I haven't even seen what Rex has said on this. But we don't have a, a working State Department to, I don't know a better way to say it, put out these kind of fires. But instead, you couldn't think of anything uh, worse to do uh, right, you know, right around the Christian holiday, you know, come out and declare that, oh, the Christians are going to come in and tell, you know, the Arab and the Jews, this is where how it works. Since I'm not smart, I'm going to quote a very smart person that I follow on Twitter. Her, her, her handle is, oh, no, she twittened. And uh, very, very, like, funny, like a writer personality. Um, she tweets, it's perfect for Trump. Muslims in Israel will protest, thus furthering his false narrative of Muslims being violent. And it furthers the Jews control American politics narrative at the same time. It plays both sides of the coin. Both sides of the hate coin. Exactly. So this is just like, you know, win-win in, in Trump land. Right. So his his absolute fervent 35% of the population that love everything he does, this just plays into all that stuff. I declare 35 the majority number. <laughs> um, all right. Well, en enough of this is good. <whistles> Thank you. Uh, Star Wars. What the hell is that? Oh, uh, well... <laughs> A long time ago. Where? In a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> uh, so by the time this podcast posts, well, the, all the trailers are out, and I'm... We're about a week away. I am uh, one of the few people who still refuse to... I don't... I go so far to not see trailers, and now I go so far to look down at my feet as I'm walking in Target to not see the toys on the shelf, because, you know, when... The, the revamp came out a few years ago. Yeah. The BB-8 thing was all over the place. You couldn't not know, oh, here's the new Jar Jar Banks. You know, I don't know the, a way to say it, but, oh, here's... I know the new character of this movie. Right. Well, here is the new character that we're going to try to make plushies of, that we're going to try to, you know, jam down, you know, society and stuff like that. I don't want to know anything about it. So I, I don't know how you've done avoiding trailers no i mean i watch a trailer once like i don't mind watching the trailers um i try not to watch every trailer that comes out now you know watching television in december you can't help but see a commercial for star wars you can't help but see anything that incorporates an image of the of the, the last jedi um they're not too spoilery although you do see the new like a new character uh in the trailers uh and in the commercials that i won't bring up here 
I'm gonna go see it as soon as I fucking can. I don't know. Should, would you want to schedule the date now, like right here? We, on we the should. Air? No, actually, we should. Um, I gotta take the little guy back to see. One of the two little guys fell asleep during Justice League. I gotta take him back to see. Back that. to the hospital. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, we 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 do this. That that's one of those movies that you have to see the second it comes out. You know, it's coming out Friday, December fifteenth. We usually record our podcasts on the Saturday, you know, uh, before post on the Monday. So hopefully, if everything kind, if the stars align. Oh. We will have seen the movie before we record next week's podcast, and we'll have a review for you, a spoiler review. Fuck everybody. We're going to tell you line by line and dissect every nuance of every character, and we're going to say, you know, fuck you. Thanks for listening to us, and here's a great movie that we're going to spoil. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, Did you see, and it went around, and I don't know how the guy didn't get his tires slashed, but I guess the day that the last Star Wars movie came out, it was all over the interwebs. Some guy wrote on like the back of his like you know Winnebago, it's like Han Solo dies in the oh. new Star Wars, and it was like why? Honestly, if I was driving down the highway and I saw that, that's I, worse than Trump for you know twenty twenty. You know, Joe, you say a lot of dumb things. That's not one of them. <laughs> that, that that is not one of them. Uh, okay, so now we are going to review a movie. There will be plenty of spoilers. If you don't want to hear any of the spoilers now, I suggest logging off. Uh, the movie is um, I'm doing the quick math in my head. 15, 16, uh, I'll edit this to make it sound longer. 72 years old. <laughs> uh, this week's Christmas review is uh, It's a Wonderful Life. And um, I am going, it came out in 46. Yep. This is the movie. And I said I was going to reach out and try to get my friend Daryl on it. This was my movie. This is the movie that I, I, as a probably early teens, found almost by accident. And, and if, I think a lot of people have had this experience. I didn't know it was the same movie. Like I would see five, ten minutes on this. I would see ten minutes. And then it did. It took me a couple years. You know, probably it was like. 10 or 11 when I started seeing clips of it and then I saw the whole movie once and realized oh that's the same movie growing up of course a little history lesson for all you millennials out there uh, It's a Wonderful Life a movie directed by Frank Capra released in 1946 it was uh, a movie that starred Jimmy Stewart who played a man named George Bailey, who at some point decides that he doesn't want to live anymore because he got into some um, hot water, let's say, and he decides to throw it all away. He, he was a long-suffering, just like a good mensch. He, he did all the right things. He made a lot of sacrifices for the betterment of the people around him. And then when push came to shove, it seemed like he was going to go to jail uh, for something that he didn't necessarily do, but he was going to take the fall for it because... He, again, was, you know, he was like the, I want to say he's like the Al Franken of <laughs> the bad example. But he, um, he, he decided in, a, in an act of desperation that he was going to jump off a bridge. And he's then encounters uh, uh, his guardian angel who's been watching his whole life. And he's kind of like, uh, kind of like a, uh, and he's a rookie simpleton. angel. He's a simpleton, but he's like a rookie angel. He doesn't have his wings yet because he's, you know, he, he didn't do enough good deeds or whatever like it is. The kind of angel I would get. <laughs> uh, his name is Clarence. So Clarence dives in to the water off the bridge, and knowing that George, being the good-hearted soul he is, was going to jump in and save him rather than commit suicide. George then goes on to say that he, uh, 
He says that he wishes he never was born versus wanting to kill himself. And then, of course, Clarence grants him that wish. Then he shows him his life or shows what his life would be like if he were never born. And it's I'm explaining It's a Wonderful Life to America. But my point is, is that growing up in the 80s and the 70s, this movie fell into public domain. Copyright had run out. There was no rights to the movie. Nobody really owned the rights. So this movie was around Christmas time because it has a Christmas theme at the end was played ad infinitum by virtually any independent or national television station in the area. And it could be played at any point in time. It was like free entertainment. You could not, from from Thanksgiving evening on till Christmas, you could not turn on the TV and not see this. Like you, you it, And it didn't matter. Like if you had terrestrial TV only and you just turn the channel, it was on. My favorite part growing up was around Christmas Eve. There were multiple stations like TV 38, Channel 2 PBS, Channel 56. Um, they had a lot of time to fill around Christmas Eve, and every single one of them played It's a Wonderful Life about the same time. Like sometimes they would start at seven, some channel would then start at eight, another channel would start at nine. So you could literally flip back and forth between different parts of the movie depending on what time you're watching it because there, every channel was playing them simultaneously. And it would, and some channels would do the the marathon. Right. Thing. We're going to show this starting at midnight on Christmas <laughs> Eve right. through midnight, you know. Yeah, Christmas Day. So it's a great movie. It's barely a Christmas movie. It's it's kind of it's not even like it a takes time. place in snow. It takes place around Christmas. There's no manger. It's not like you know one of those like you know kind of movies. Um, and it's it, also, by the way, it's also one of the first post-war movies. You know, like this is sort of like the the war is over. People are coming back, and there is a war theme to this. A big war theme to this movie. His uh, George Bailey's brother Harry Bailey was a war hero, and and. His coming, his homecoming was on Christmas Eve, so they were preparing for that when this catastrophe happens at the building and loan in which uh, George Bailey ran. And um, that's yeah, spoilers. Their crazy uncle Billy, who kind of runs the books over there, and is he's responsible for depositing money from the building yeah, and loan. Yeah, agree. Uh, he's a simpleton too. And hey, here's the simplest job: take this, walk it across the street, put it in the bank. You know, right? And then he encounters. The evil Mr. Potter. And Mr. Potter is like the Donald Trump of Bedford Falls, the town in which they live. And he controls virtually the 99% of, you know, the banks, the drugstores, the apartment stores. Um, you know, he has that, uh, that Potter's Field that he, uh, you know, that's kind of like slum housing that he runs. Um, he controls virtually everything. And the building alone is like the only, like, bastion of, of, of goodness in this the sea of like you know if it wasn't for the building and loan the whole war the whole town would have been run by mr potter so um great movie but yeah mr potter he encounter he he has a run in with uh, uncle billy uh he unknow- uncle billy unknowingly gives him this 5000 or $8000 or whatever it was uh, by accident, because he had some sort of mix. He had rolled it up in a newspaper. Exactly. And, right. and he basically hits the guy with it. And it's like, you know, we need a paper. Yeah, exactly. Right. And um, it, it, we're, we're not doing this movie justice. But I'm introducing a new segment on Carnival Personnel. It's called Self-Indulgent Theater. That's where I take a classic scene from a classic movie, and I reenact it for my own pleasure, for my o- audience of one. Me too. Oh, okay. 
Standing room only, then. So here it is. What I'd like to do for all of our listeners, and for Shock and for me, it's the scene in which uh, George Bailey's father just died. The board is now meeting to decide what the fate of the Bailey building and loan is going to be. And Mr. Potter is one of the shareholders. Not a majority stakeholder, but, you know, his vote carries a lot of sway, and he votes to... So so are, 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 the, are you going to tell him the backstory about where George is in his life at the time? Well, I mean, he's... George's dream was to travel the world. He wanted to get out of Bedford and see the world, and he had so many times put his dreams on hold, and he finally has done everything he can to help everybody, and this is his time to get on the train and get out of town. And he has his to bags. To go to college. Yeah, he's leaving town. His bags are in his hand. He's saying goodbye. His father passes away. The board's having the meeting to decide whether to disband the savings and loan, which Potter is pushing for because Potter owns the bank. Yeah, and then uh, George Bailey comes by. He's about to leave, but he, uh, he decides to stick up for his building loan and for his father's honor. So here it is. Here's a scene done by me from It's a Wonderful Life. Peter Bailey was not a businessman. That's what killed him. Oh, I don't mean any disrespect to him, God rest his soul. He was a man of high ideals, so-called. But ideals without common sense can ruin this town. Now, you take this loan here to Ernie Bishop, you know, that fellow that sits around all day on his brains in his taxi. I happen to know the bank turned down this loan. And he comes here, and we're building him a house worth $5,000. Why? Oh, well, I handle that, Mr. Potter. You have all the papers there, his salary, his insurance. I can personally vouch for his character. Mm, friend of yours. Yes, sir. Mm, you see, uh, if you shoot pool with an employee here, you can come and borrow money. <laughs> what does that get us? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. And all because of a few starry-eyed dreamers like Peter Bailey stir them up and fill their heads with a lot of impossible ideas. Now, I say... Just a minute. Just a minute. Now, hold on, Mr. Potter. Just a minute. Now, you're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny-ante building alone, I'll never know. Neither you nor anybody else can say anything against his character because his whole life was why on the 25 years since he and Uncle Billy started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Isn't that right, Uncle Billy? He didn't save enough money to send Harry to school, let alone me. But he did help a few people get out of your slums, Mr. Potter. And what's wrong with that? What? Here, you're all businessmen here. Doesn't it make them better citizens. Doesn't it make them better customers. You, you said that. They, what would you just say a, little, a minute ago? That they had to wait to save their money before they even. Thought of a decent home? Wait! Wait for what? Until their children go up and leave them until they're so old and broken down that they... Do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan. I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on, and it's galling you. That's what you're talking about, I know. I, I, I've said too much. I, you're the board here. You do what you want with this thing. There's just one more thing, though. This town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can come without crawling to Potter. Come on, Uncle Billy. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, that just saved me two hours to watch. No! Seriously, that was absolute. Thank thank Joseph, that, do not get me a present for Christmas. Nothing will top that. That is my favorite scene. Seriously, and... And and of course, you know the the sad thing is, it's like that's seventy two years ago, and eh, that's pretty much where we are now. Pretty much, yep, nothing's changed. So uh, there's a little sunshine in your cloudy day. But for me to be able to get you a gift for Christmas, because uh, I can't act like that, uh, I'm gonna need some defunct sponsor cash. Oh, uh, let's go to it. The defunct sponsor of the week. <laughs> Oh, you're up home early, huh? Ben can be so stupid. Yeah, yeah. Well, say, how about some Campbell's home cooking soup? Grandpa, chicken soup can't fix everything. No, you got to have some tomatoes and celery and carrots, too. You know, honey, your grandmother never, ever called me stupid. No, she always called me pinhead. Oh, Grandpa. I knew some soup would make you feel better. Home cooking soups from Campbell. They got their name because of their taste. Let me just... Open a cold one. <laughs> Talk some football. Uh, are you ready for some football? Uh, are you ready for some racism? And 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 this week the racism uh, has me boiling over. Um, Stephen A. Smith is. N- I'm not a big fan of him. He goes out of his way to play the racist card so much it is out of control. Yes, teacher. Sir. Yes. Who's Stephen A. Smith for us dummies that don't watch sport? Uh, Stephen A. Smith is uh, one of the talking heads, probably the talking head on ESPN. He hates all things New England. Uh, He hates things all things Boston. He goes out of his way to disparage. I I mean, he's one of those people who will find a way to tell you the two Super Bowl losses by the Patriots were all Tom Brady's fault, and he was pedestrian in their five wins. He's one of those guys. And he's one of those guys who every chance he gets to say that Boston is racist, like, yes, Boston has a racist past. Um, Chicago has a racist past. Like, why do other cities get over their racist past? Chicago, there was a suburb just outside Chicago in 1951 where one black family moved into this apartment building. 4,000 people literally broke into the building to throw this family out in 1951. Why does Chicago get to, you know, get past their, you know, people don't associate it? Nobody talks it. Yeah, the Boston Red Sox were one of the last teams to integrate. However, the Boston Celtics, first black, you know, player, first black coach, first black general manager. And and my point is, yes, Boston has a, 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 and it's not a black white thing here. It's, it's a Portuguese thing. It's an Irish thing. It's an Italian thing. As Dave Chappelle once said, I was in Boston. And I saw an Italian guy beat up an Irish guy, and I said, man, these people are specific. So last week in the win over Buffalo, in, in one of the, either the first or second procession, Tom Brady's coming off the field. They, they, they end up having to kick a field goal, third and long. Brady tried to force the ball across the middle. There was somebody more alone than Joe on prom night on the other side of the field. I mean, honestly, at the 10, nobody in the same zip code and just getting off the field. And and Brady knows it. Brady knows he effed up. And getting off the field, offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels says, and you can read the lips, it's like, hey, Dobson was open. Brady takes about two steps, turns around, and you can read the lips. I fucking know he was open. And he screams at Josh McDaniels, and the Josh doesn't fight back, or he doesn't argue back. 
Brady just blows off steam. The whole fight lasts maybe 12 seconds. Yeah, Brady had a meltdown. The offensive coordinator is white. And uh, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. White. White guy. Okay. How is this race? Thank you for asking, Joe. Uh, Stephen A. Smith decides to go on the air and say, you know, if that was a black quarterback, we'd be having a different conversation. But because it's Tom Brady, you know, people just say, oh, he's competitive. And, and that became the national narrative for several days. And so... In the same game, uh, Gronkowski, who on one play, there was four penalties that should have been called against Buffalo. He was held at the line. He was grabbed by a linebacker going all the way across the field. You can see the the cornerback has his jersey. And then, you know, uh, the ball's underthrown. It gets intercepted. Gronkowski gets up. The guy's on the sideline. He's out of bounds at this point. The, the, The Bills receiver, funny enough, name is White. Black dude is on the ground in Gronkowski, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, decides he's going to jump on him and elbow in the back of the head. It was a chicken shit, absolute, dirty, rightfully suspendable offense. However, again, Stephen A. Smith and the national media came right out and said, oh, if that was a white guy he had hit, it would have not been a suspension, or if that was a black guy hitting Gronkowski, he would have been suspended for the rest of the season. And you're looking at this, there's only been six suspensions in the NFL in the last 30 years for on-field bullshit. Every other suspension has been from a repeat offender. You know, this is not Gronkowski. Like, Gronkowski has, doesn't have a history of dirty hits. In fact, he has a history of being on the other side of dirty hits. And he came right out instantly in the locker room. This isn't me. This was horrible. I was stupid. I apologized to him. You know, flat out. But because it was the Patriots, and I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute. You were you are really reaching. You you are Stretch Armstrong. You know you are elastic man to find a way to make Tom Brady. You know and, and then Odell Beckham comes out and Odell Beckham, the right receiver for uh, the Buffalo Bills, uh, who had one amazing catch, one amazing catch. Um, you know the one handed catch. Oh yes. Okay. Uh, regular season game. That they lost, but yet that catch is considered the greatest catch in football. Again, regular season game that they lost. Julian Edelman, who? Right. But that guy is a, is a nut job. He comes out and says the same thing. Oh, when I have a meltdown, and he's had meltdowns where he's, honestly, he's, Odell Beckham has some mental problems. Most of the diva wide receivers do. But, you know, he tore apart like, you know, um, you know, on the sideline, one of those kicking nets. He's had several meltdowns. He's been in the league five years, I think, and he's probably had 15 absolute colossal meltdowns um, on the sideline with his team, and he's never won a playoff game. Tom Brady, yeah, there's been a couple times in Tom Brady's career where he's had screaming fits with an offensive coordinator. Uh, this is the second one in like five or six years. Most of the time when he fucks up, he's, he knows he fucks up. You know, he doesn't yell at receivers. He doesn't do this. But the, to make that a race thing, at, at what point do you say, shut the fuck up, Steven? You are a racist trying to, play, trying to make a race thing out of. But every chance he gets to try to draw a straight line, he is the Black Alex Jones when it comes to Boston sports world. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, a lot of 
um, black people in the country do not look fondly upon Boston because it, no. we have a bad history. We still do have. Oh a, yeah, look, look, look. I mean, the you know there are more black guys on the field at Fenway than in the stands, but there is no more of a racist thing. They make Boston sound like. Alabama or Arkansas. That I mean, last year there was a free agent, a, a white guy who was at Boston Garden, and everybody knows his contract's coming up, and he was getting applauded at Boston, and he's white, and it's like they're not applauded. They, they, you know, it was one of those things where the fans were like, "We'd love you to come play here," and Stephen A. Smith again was like, "They wouldn't do that for a black." Man. Look, Boston's not going to shake it. We had the busing thing. We had the Charles Stewart thing. There's so many like racial right, but things everybody that... has. Like I said, uh, you can go down the list of, of Chicago, but. You know, to say that like the Celtics are a racist organization, and again, one of the other things about first black player, first black coach, first black general manager, first black starting five in an NBA team. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's got to think against the Patriots because of the managements and the, uh, all the uh, the three main players in the Patriots are all Trump supporters. Now, Alleged. Th- this goes way back. This like Stephen A. Smith has hated the Patriots, mm. hates the Celtics, the hates boss. the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. Like, he does, like he does, like he does. So this week I actually get to make a pat prediction because the prediction comes out. The game is played after the podcast post. Yeah, we don't know. We legitimately. <laughs> Um, you legitimately will not have seen the game by the time you hear this unless you listen to it on Tuesday. But why are you listening to us on Tuesday? There's nothing going on on Mondays. You call yourself listeners, fans. We are the answer to the bad Mondays that Garfield has been rallying against for <laughs> years. Uh, What's your prediction? My prediction is uh, we don't have Gronk because he's suspended. And we're playing in Miami, the only other building where Brady has a losing record. He is seven and eight in Miami, and in the seven wins, he has like six hundred touchdowns and one interception, one hundred and eleven, uh, you know, quarterback rating. In the eight losses, it, it's not me or you out there, but you know, Brian Hoyer wouldn't be. Uh, but without Gronk in Miami, I still think they they r- running away. I'm gonna say thirty six to thirteen. Wow. And I'm going to say the one Miami touchdown is a, you know, a fluke kind of either garbage time thing. But, but yeah, the Patriots win this going away. And it's funny because their defense last week, again, gave up three points. And they now have gone from at the, the first six, seven games being the worst defense in football. The last, like, you know, five, six games, they've not given up. The, the, you know, they've only given up like three points in a couple games. They haven't given up over 17 points in a game in almost two months. So this is a Monday Night Football game between, dun, 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 dun. between the Patriots and the Dolphins. Yes, and Miami. Okay, so am I misremembering this? What happened in 1980 during a Monday Night Football game in December between the Patriots and the Dolphins? That was the famous uh, snowplow game. Was it? Yeah. yeah. No. What, which game are you thinking? I'm thinking about the game where they announced that John Lennon was shot. Oh, no, I didn't remember that. Oh, is that am I misremembering that it was Patriots Dolphins? Well, maybe, maybe not. No, wow. Didn't... Well, thanks for putting that awful memory. <laughs> when I think Patriots Dolphins, it's I got to be wrong. It's the snowplow game. Um, and, oh, and here's one of the great things about the snowplow game for for anybody who gives a fuck. Uh, it was a game in New England. It was completely snowing, and um, the Patriots are kicking, going to kick a game 
uh, winning field goal. And the snowplow was coming across, and it's supposed to go right around the line of scrimmage. But just as it gets to where they are, it, it veers in. Is, is that the John Lennon thing? Yeah. 1980, Patriots-Dolphins, December 8th. Wow. So watch your back, Paul McCartney. <laughs> you are a bad person. <laughs> Good thing um, my sister doesn't listen to this podcast, because she's a John Lennon freak and no. she would she i would be the person assassinated on monday night football but before we get to the video game review uh we'll end with that but i would be remiss uh we talked a great bit about jimmy farley's so long boulder city subculture theater new york um check it out find him on on twitter he's a hilarious follow but uh but joe had a big uh you know, a, a big to do this week with the release of crowdsource boston's back oh. to the future so, in case you don't know, you probably don't know or don't care. Uh, my, we care. My my son and I volunteered some of our time and skills toward recreating a scene or two from the movie Back to the Future for this project that the Arlington Community Media Group uh, helped produce for this thing that uh, crowdsourced Boston, which is a group that recreates... Um, they, they, what they do is that they take film groups from around the New England area and they recreate scenes from a particular movie and then they splice all of those scenes together to recreate the entire movie. And then that entire movie, Back to the Future, which was what we participated in this year, was released uh, not too long ago. In fact, it was released... Uh, yeah, last week. And the link is available. So I think, I don't know, I think it's a public link. So if it's public, I'll post it. Yeah, no, because I got on my email and um, I watched it. And it's it's fun because you do. You have like 20 different crews doing their interpretation of it. You have 20 different Marty McFlies. You have 20 different Biffs. You have, my son is one of the Marty McFlies. It, it, probably the most brilliant of the Marty <laughs> McFlies. But it is. It's really funny. You know, It's one of those things where it's like it gives a lot of people a chance to do it. It's a fun watch. It really is. I haven't watched it yet, but I do intend to watch it. So Sorry, Jonathan. I didn't get to it yet. But right. our, our great friend Jonathan, who, you know, who runs everything over there. You know, at Arlington Community Media. Uh, shout out to Jonathan. So, anyways, Jacques is now going to help end the show by grabbing a random video game off of my Nintendo Entertainment shelf. No whammies, no oh. whammies, no whammies. Stop! Oh, it's a, a flacati rug. What the hell is that? <laughs> anyway, so he grabbed a game off the shelf. It's not Ninja Gaiden 2. It is not Orb 3D. It's uh, Othello? Is it Othello? It is not Othello. Huh. All right. You want to give it one more try? No, I give. Uh, wait, and then no, I give up. I can't. I can't remember what it is. Oh, Operation Wolf. It's a game by Taito. Operation Wolf. Take no prisoners. It's got a badass cover. It's got these guys in green berets, you know, just strapped with uh, uh, machine guns, and they're off. You know, they they landed in some sort of like jungle area. Uh, in a helicopter, and they're there to take no prisoners. And uh, I guess it's one... I haven't played this game much, if at all. I believe it's like kind of like a top-down shooter kind of thing where you're running around in this jungle arena and you're seeing it from the top down. I don't know. I can't really honestly properly review this game. So this is a pretty lame game for me to review. So I'm just going to read from the Ultimate Nintendo 
guide written and, by Pat Contry. And this review was written by Pat Contry himself. Oh, my God. We're just killing it with getting the Pat Contry reviews. Shut it. Operation Wolf. Three stars. Players take control of a special forces soldier to uh, rescue hostages uh, and this first person shooter on rails uh, uh, armed with machine gun and grenade launcher. Uh, the player must uh, take out uh, many enemy soldiers and vehicles uh, such as t- tanks, uh, bolts, uh, and helicopters before they can deplete uh, the player's health by firing at them. And then that was it. So I'm going to guess that this game goes for seven bucks. Four forty nine. So with I, shipping, I know probably I kind of overpaid. Um, so everybody, thank you for uh, a couple a couple last things. Biff, uh, we wish you and, and your home all the all the luck. Uh, interesting thing, a lot of people were tweeting out, bring your pets inside because L A is. Like we talked about bears and stuff, their their forest is being ruined. So, you know, don't be surprised if you have more wild animals. And hey, leave a big big thing of water outside for them. Uh, but bring your pets in because they're a snack. Right. Leave some leave some water out there. You know what? Leave some water for the fire too. You know, like we can feed the bears water and maybe douse the flame. Uh, Biff, Biff does fall in the um, one of my favorite lines from Caddyshack. He has a pool. And a pond, pond be good for you, the fresh spring water. But he does. He has an in-ground pool, but he has a koi pond and stuff. And he's like, yeah, my house is a smorgasbord for animals coming through. Wait, water and and, and free fish? Because, you know, hey, we're not talking about him being Japanese, but he does have sushi at the ready for these uh, wildlife. But- Finally tonight, a parenting tip of the week. Uh, I'm going to use this in the next couple weeks. Absolutely use Santa's naughty list to the utmost effectiveness. How so? Uh, hey, 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 Santa's watching, dude. Which, really creepy when you think of the whole more thing, but, uh-huh. but we, we, we have an elf on the shelf. You know, he came into our life last year. His name is Martellus. Completely coincidental, has nothing to do with Martellus Bennett signing as a free agent last year. Um, but but I do. I'm I'm still able to uh to use Santa to help me um keep things in line. Oh, and again, one last last thing. When we talked to our animated Christmas thing, I forgot Rise of the Guardians. That is a fantastic Christmas movie. Oh. But that is my parenting tip of the week. Great, yeah. So Santa's like the NSA of Christmas. He's always watching. Always watching. So we will post the crowdsource Boston Back to the Future thing that Joe was a huge part of. Uh, We will post a link to So Long Boulder City. And uh, going out, we will play the song Mind Time by the incredible... Dan Cray and Beyond did because Jimmy starred in the Mind Time video that was shot at Bill's Bar in Boston behind Fenway around the same time when Jimmy was seven and eight. So Jimmy's entire career is thanks to Joe, Formal Edition, and Beyond It. Nothing to do with years of working his ass off. Amazingly talented, amazingly great looking kid, um, and creatives is all fucked. Nope, it's all thanks to Formal Edition and Beyond It. Gotta get started somewhere. And um, finally tonight, do not forget. Little tiny girl, she walked up to 